what are you going to be when you grow up? Whether it's a cop or a cowboy or something. She cut through all that noise and said, look, just focus on being a good person. Hey, what's going on? You're listening to the Live Leaderly Podcast. I'm your host, Darren Alba. Here on the show, we invite guests from all walks to share their stories about leadership, which just become stories about life. I ask that with the people in your life, please tell your story, listen to theirs, but in the meantime, we'll do it together here on the Live Leaderly Podcast. And joining us on the show today, Managing Director at Laurel Strategies and Board Member at Vet Jobs, Steve Parker. Steve, welcome to the show. How's it going? Hey, hey, Darren. Great, man. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Where are you calling in from today, Steve? So I'm, I'm calling in from uh, Glenview, Illinois. It's the northern suburb of Chicago. All right. Well, to kick off the show, could you uh, just share a little bit about your background, Steve? Yeah, you bet. So I think like me, the folks that you know, um, class of 89, West Point. But before all that, I was from uh, Hartford, Connecticut, oldest of three boys, grew up you know, with sports and extracurricular activities at the center of everything, always competing and, and looking for ways to to get in, engaged with, with other people. And um, West Point was, was one of those things that, that eventually cropped up as a way to naturally extend all that. How was that for you? Was it kind of a, a culture shock or were you expecting that kind of experience? Of course, it was everything uh, unexpected. It was a complete shock, right? I, I'd known, um, I'd gone up as a high school kid to, to spend overnight for a visit and sort of get a feel for West Point. That introduction was was for me, I think, insightful, uh, but unhelpful because um, everything that, that I experienced initially on that visit was through the eyes of, uh, of a second class visit, you know, a yearling at West Point. And I thought it was an amazing place and still think it's an amazing place, but it did not prepare me for, for day one, year one, of course. You had your, your West Point experience and then you went on and commissioned into the Army. Could you share more about your Army career and where that took you? I was commissioned in the air defense artillery. I was very excited about divisional air defense in those days. Opportunity to to lead troops um, and to to serve at a you know task force level. And my initial assignment was in Germany. Uh, in those days, was through the, the leading edge of the battlefield and and all the new equipment and, and all the things happening in the Third Infantry Division. So I was um, I was fortunate to sort of get to to witness just, just as we were commissioned the uh, the end of the Cold War, uh, the, the fights over the battles won, and and a bunch of East Germans uh, streaming across the border uh, into Germany. How long did you end up serving for in the, the active army? Yeah, so that initial service commitment turned into uh, about 28 years. Tired as an 06, as a colonel, really unusual twists and turns in a, in a dynamic career that allowed me to, to serve as a foreign area officer uh, and continue to serve uh, in the air defense artillery uh, to command troops at the battery and battalion level. And then to, to do a couple of unusual things that we can talk about, too, with um, service in the uh, United Nations and a, a Tours of White House fellow and, and other things. So I uh, really uh, didn't know where to get off that merry-go-round. I was having so much fun. What started as, you know, five five years turned in, I've, I've heard this many a time, turned into 20, 30 years. And so over that that 28-year journey, um, you know, Colonel, Colonel Steve Parker how would you compare Colonel Steve Parker as a leader to, uh, you know, Second Lieutenant Parker? What what was that transformation like over your career? Yeah, you know, great question. I, I I'd like to think that at the core, um, the the curious, 
second lieutenant who who wanted to learn more and more about how to lead and, and to perfect the craft, you know, the art and the science of leadership. I, I'd like to think that that remained the same, that curiosity, but but certainly with experience, the the idea that people are at the center of all of this and, and understanding not only who they are and, and where they come from, you know, what they want out of this whole endeavor was certainly something I had a greater appreciation for as a colonel. But but also, I think a better understanding of who I was as an individual. And the thing that held true throughout it is this idea of knowing who you are is going to, to allow you to, to better lead uh, other people to where they want to go. Yeah. Understanding who you are is, is I think, a, a big part of that journey. Along the way, we're always doing our current job for the first time in, in a lot of cases. We're a platoon leader for the first time, a commander, whatever staff officer for the first time, and you're figuring it out in the moment. So how do you adjust during those moments where you're you're in a new environment and you also have these eyes looking up at you, right? These people looking at you for guidance and advice, and you're still just trying to figure it out yourself. No, it's, uh, I think at the center of leading is a couple of things. And one for me came about really my first, you know, weeks at the academy and this idea that you're underprepared, but you're still expected to perform. I was, um, had the good fortune of being something that I hope is still uh, a word that's in vogue at West Point. I was a rock swimmer. And um, so I, I arrived <laughs> at West Point with, without the ability to, to stay above water for a very long time. And so as a rock, you, you, you really get uh, the opportunity from, from that first you know, assessment to, to improve and to get better. It's like, we're going to spend some time working on you and your ability to swim. Uh, and shouts out to rock swimmers everywhere. And I think my class in particular, uh, Lieutenant General retired Mark Hurtling, is a hero amongst us because he was a captain back then teaching rock swimmers. And uh, everything sort of uh, comes from that perspective, right? When you're, you're unprepared, but you're expected to perform, leaders have to um, be willing to, I think, from a position of both humility and confidence, say that I, I don't know all that I need to know. So I, I got to learn to ask good questions, but I'm still in charge. I'm still responsible. So um, I've got to do so from a position of confidence. I think those days on the bottom of the pool, looking up and depending on my teammates and, and my instructors and everybody else to teach me what I needed to know to get back to, to fresh air and the surface, um, led me to understand that, you know, this is a team sport. You, you can, can eventually get uh, from where you are to where you want to go if you're willing to to, to do the work, to, to learn, uh, to listen, uh, in order to prepare yourself to lead. That's a great example. I was not a great swimmer. You're trying to prevail and trying to get just to the other side of this, this pool, wearing your, your vest and your boots and all that. And at the same time, you're learning these lessons about leadership and resilience that I'm sure at the moment you don't want to think about, like, oh, this is benefiting me being in this struggle, just trying to find air. Being comfortable with discomfort, you know, putting yourself in difficult positions uh, so that you can grow and, and learn and, and get better. And so after 28 years, moving from something maybe you were more comfortable with, having been in the military for, for that long, to, to something that's, that's kind of fresh and new, how was that transition for you? So I had the great fortune, I think that most of us do, thinking about that transition all the time. I had the good fortune as a, as a colonel to lead a, a program, it was a White House initiative called Joining Forces that was focused on the transition and, and identifying problems and, and coming up with solutions by encouraging teamwork and, and the joining of forces between corporate America, the public and the private sector to just figure out how do we take better care of veterans uh, and military families. 
And so I had some some sort of perspective, I think, that was unique in that regard because I got to see a lot of transition from the top down. I think it's a process. It's something that you start while you're serving because eventually, uh, whether you you get out as a, a first lieutenant or, or a three-star general, uh, you're going to transition. So why not start preparing? That's great that you had that opportunity at the White House to be part of that program and that had to have been a, a you know an eye-opening experience for you. Yeah, no doubt. And and listen, we we are often, you know, called to lead, you know, based on the circumstances that we're we're in as well. So, you know, that whole program came about because there was a problem uh with transition and you know, 2012, or really from from 2008 forward when the economy took a took a turn, we saw a lot of opportunities diminished in the civilian sector and so you know, by by the, the time the Obama administration came up with this program, it was in response to a record high unemployment among post 9-11 veterans. And, and, you know, it really was hurting the country. It was hurting the Army. Uh, so we had to figure out a better way for, for folks to uh, to transition successfully. And getting a job is is at the center of a, of a great transition because that's the one thing you're leaving behind as you, as you leave the Army. So uh, that commitment to veterans and, and jobs uh, remains with me today, as you, you announced. Um, I'm on the board of an organization, great nonprofit called Vet Jobs, that that helps with that process now. We're all always looking for our purpose or our, our purposes, and it sounds like during your career in the military, you, you started to to learn more about that purpose for you, and and that translated into your involvement with Vet Jobs today. Yeah, it, it's easy for for uh, for some of us to look forward and say, you know, here's what I'm passionate about. Here's what I'm good at. Here's what I'd like to do. That that was not me, right? So so for me, uh, as I look back, I, I'm able to connect the dots and discover that wow, that's that's where I was being led all along. The thing that was consistent for me was trying to do things that were a little bit unusual, taking on uh, jobs and challenges, and going into to places and talking to people that that weren't necessarily on everyone else's list. And so by doing that, by, by seeking the uh, those things that are off the beaten path that are a little bit unusual, you get not only an opportunity to experience, you know, something that's different, but you, you get to, I think the, the possibilities and the probabilities of success are even greater when you're following sort of that, that different drum. Um, so I became a foreign area officer while in the army, um, an African foreign area, area officer, no, no, no less. Um, so, Early in my career, I got to to go to different places to experience different cultures and really to reinforce for myself that I enjoy um, doing those different things. And um, I think that was the preparation for, for both the transition and sort of fulfilling my passions today is understanding that leadership requires a response. And typically the problem that you're trying to solve isn't one that's that's familiar, isn't one where the solution is readily available. When both the problem and the solution are, are easily understood, that's a simple problem. Those are not the ones that that most leaders enjoy uh, taking on. So, you know, looking back, uh, I think the preparation is just in following that that different path. Following a, a different path, you you mentioned it earlier, kind of taking that leap, whether it's in the bottom of the pool or 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 you know in a different country, getting uncomfortable and getting those experiences because you don't know how much you'll grow grow from those those times in your life. And so central theme to this podcast is the idea of living leaderly. It's the, the name of the podcast. Leadership is not tied to a position or an occupation. Um, you can be a leader in, in all kinds of aspects in your life, whether you realize it or not. 
And so if you could think back to the leaders that you had in your life, the ones that were the most impactful to you, what kinds of aspects of living leaderly did you see in those folks that you hope to take and add to your your tool bag? Yeah, no, such such a great question. And I do, you know, to this day, admire leaders writ large, but but my early impacts, the imprints on, on my brain came from those people closest to me um, as leaders. You know, first family. Uh, my, my grandmother, my maternal grandmother is probably the, the first person that said, you know, when you, when all kids are sort of pondering, what, what are you going to be when you grow up? You know, whether it's a cop or a cowboy or something, she cut through all that noise and said, look, just just focus on being a good person, so, someone that other people can trust and, and want to be around. I, I think that that imprint stuck with me. You know, early coaches, I think all of us are, are thrown in, a, in our initial combative, um, you know, arenas and opportunities through sports. And for me, I have a, a huge admiration and respect for coaches um, that continues to this day. But but those early coaches and certainly coaches at West Point, you know, rest in peace to, to Bob Thompson, my, my lightweight football or then 150s coach, someone that well beyond, well, well ahead of the Army and sort of the mold of what an officer should be um, model for me, what a leader um, should be. And so those are the the imprints that continue. But at the center of all those folks is is a trait that, again, looking back, I now know what it was, and it was empathy. Um, those people looked at at me when, when I was a person that was either much younger than they were or much different than they were at some point. And still, they saw through empathetic eyes potential. They saw you know, a worth that, that they would invest time, uh, energy, and effort into. And I think that's what leaders have to have to be effective, truly, because because we lead people. You've got to be empathetic. You've got to care about people. Much like you described, all these these leaders that have had this impact in your life, everyone does it a little bit differently. Everyone develops themselves a little bit differently. So in Steve's recipe of self-development and, and leadership, what, what ingredients are you tossing in there? What do you do on a you know weekly or daily basis that you know try to make you the best Steve that you can be? Yeah, I um, I remain curious. I maintain that empathy, reminding um, to, to be be humble, I'm reminding myself. I, I've got three young boys myself now, and um, they got an older sister who, who's um, leading the way. But now, in sort of shaping these three boys, um, I get to lead, you know, by uh, all the traditional means, by presence and by example. Uh, they're watching. They're listening. Um, so I know that um, I've got to I got to be patient. I've got to be humble in order to get them to, to truly buy into what I'm saying, um, because I'm competing uh, as a leader with their environment and a lot of the noise um, that enters the room. So uh, the, the real, I think, ingredients that are that are key are ones that I've mentioned. I think that empathy is, is at the, be- the, the basis of it. And when I look at them, I, I don't try to to make them me. Uh, I want them to be the best versions of themselves. I think every leader has to have uh, a real respect for for diversity, and we see that more and more today. And, and there's a natural bias that that any leader has to overcome, understanding that that people are are different, and if you want to meet them where they are, you got to in some way uh, begin to understand them, and then to overcome your own bias of them being not like you. So, so giving opportunity and, and giving rise to people, creating a way uh, for them to, to get where you want them, need them to be, where they want to be, aligning all those things, I think, comes you know, from that recipe of empathy, of humility, of curiosity. 
And, and with that, we're uh, close to wrapping up, Steve, but uh, I'll toss it back over to you. Do you have any closing thoughts uh, before we, we close this out? Yeah, I, I would say um, follow um, that thing that, that's inherently yours, your instinct. You, you could get in trouble uh, sometimes in doing that. But the thing that helps to establish the left and right limit is, is great mentors and people that, that can keep you between the, the, the lines, even if you're not on the straight and narrow. Um, so follow your instinct, um, be willing and, and, and being, be open to coaching and, and mentoring from others. Um, I think are two pieces of advice that have, uh, in retrospect, served me well as I followed an unusual path. All right. Thanks, Steve. Our guest today, Steve Parker. Steve, thanks for coming on the show and sharing your story and your thoughts, your insights. And for all those out there listening, thank you again for joining us here on the Live Leaderly podcast.